helping to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. This is the Constitution Study on the America Out Loud Network with your host, Paul Engel. In the legal profession, there's what's called the last resort rule. It states, if you have the facts on your side, hammer the facts. If you have the law on your side, hammer the law. If you have neither the facts nor the law, hammer the table. It's the idea that uh, you take whatever advantage you have and you push it. And, and if you don't, well, you bluff. Now, there's been a lot of table hammering lately, and it's coming from both sides, by the way. Last week, we had another example when Hunter Biden refused to comply with a congressional subpoena. What ensued can best be called a cacophony of table pounding. Well, hello there, everyday Americans. Paul Engel here with the Constitution Study, where we read and study the Constitution, teach a rising generation to be free. And today, we're going to look at the idea of pounding the table. I see it a lot in a lot of different situations. This is by no means simply a political standpoint. It's the idea of if you don't have, if the arguments aren't falling your way, you just get loud and make noise. Now, we've seen it a lot with the, uh, uh, the well, we've seen it in, in both sets of presidential impeachments, both, you know, the Donald Trump and Joe Biden. There's been a lot of, you know, when in doubt, just pound the table. Uh, we saw it with the uh, response to or the reaction to the uh, the university president, three university presidents that were interrogated uh, in in a congressional uh, meeting, and then uh, and the reaction to their reaction. We've seen a lot of that. And again, recently we saw it when Hunter Biden said, "I'm not, I'm not going to submit to a congressional subpoena." Now listen, there's a not there's not a lot I good I can say about Hunter Biden. I, I look at his actions, I find them reprehensible. I find the way the, what he's been accused of as being uh, truly uh, ab abhorrent and and evil um, on so many different levels. But you know what? Here, I'm 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 not so much I, I'm not. I actually think maybe he did the right thing. Now you maybe trying to pick yourself up off the chair after I say something like that. But remember, we're not partisan here. I don't care that his daddy is the president of the United States. I don't care that his family's been an avowed Democrat. I don't even care that he's been accused of some pretty serious crimes. And there's, well, some quite credible evidence that it's true. No, what I care about is the Constitution. And here's problem number one. Have you ever received a, a federal subpoena? I did. I received one from uh, a district, a U.S. attorney's office in Phoenix, Arizona. Now, let me read you the the uh, very first words in the subpoena. It says, "You are commanded to appear in the United States District Court at the date and time and place shown below to testify in this criminal case." Commanded to appear. I have to tell you that got my hackles up, but. When I sat and thought about it, there's a fundamental difference between the subpoena I received and the subpoena that Hunter Biden received. You see, Hunter Biden received a subpoena from Congress. Why is it important? Why does that make a difference? Well, you see, the judicial branch, an Article Three court, has a legitimate reason. They have a legitimate 
power to compel the attendance to a case, right? I mean, if the if the defense has the legitimate authority to compel witnesses in their favor, doesn't the prosecution have a similar power to compel witnesses in their favor? Which is why I was more than willing to um, respond to the to the to a, a, a peer from the subpoena. I thought there was a legitimate purpose. Um, didn't like the word commanded, but so be it. However, uh, Congress doesn't have constitutional subpoena power. Again, I know they've given themselves uh, a statutory subpoena power, but that's a power not delegated to them by the United, by the Constitution. Therefore, it's not a legitimate power. See, remember, Congress is the legislative branch. All legislative power is invested in Congress. Not investigative power, legislative power. Congress's job is not to enforce the law, it's to write the law. Now, at the time of the issuing of the subpoena to Mr. Biden, Hunter Biden, um, Congress was thinking about a formal investigation into his father uh, for the purpose of an impeachment but they had not yet actually initiated investigation. Yes, they had committees and they held all this stuff. I've told you, those are primarily kangaroo courts because they were seeking, they were, they were investigating a person, not a crime. And again, it's not Congress's job to investigate except for a, an act, a legitimate legislative purpose, meaning writing the laws or Congress has the authority to uh, um, impeach. The House impeaches, the the Senate tries, therefore the House has a legitimate purpose to investigate for the purpose of uh, articles of impeachment. But that had not gone that far yet. So, you you know, there, there's been a lot of talk about, oh my God, oh my God, he he's, you know, he's committed contempt of Congress. I don't know that I would say he's committed contempt of Congress so much as he may be committing contempt of um, Republicans in Congress that appear to be on a political witch hunt. I know Joe Biden's done a lot, a lot of bad things, but when I look at how he he's being, uh, how the politicians in the House have handled it, it seems a lot more political than it does actually constitutional. So I see some reason to say, listen, hey, for you know, you you you've uh, uh, issued this subpoena. You, do you have the legitimate authority? to issue such a subpoena. I know lawyers around the country saying, yes, they do. You've got title so-and-so, section so-and-so. But if that power wasn't delegated to Congress by the Constitution, they don't have the power to create such law. That law is therefore void. Now, if that's true, that also means the uh, um, contempt of Congress charges against Hunter Biden are void too. Remember, um, uh, you know, I often cite uh, uh, Alexander Hamilton in Federal 78, but if we look back to the case, oh, was it, uh, Norton v. Shelby County? This was an, an 1886 case, and in it it said, an unconstitutional act is not a law. It confers no rights, it imposes no duties, it affords no protections, it creates no office, it is in legal contemplation as inoperative as though it had never been passed meaning that the law that said Congress can issue subpoenas doesn't exist. It, it, it's void. Uh, uh, an early one, 1879 case, ex parte Siebold, an unconstitutional law is void and is no law. 
An offense created by it is not a crime. A conviction under it is not merely erroneous, but is legally and but is illegal and void and cannot be a legal cause of imprisonment. See, there's the problem. Congress is pissed off because someone said no. In this case, I think Hunter Biden may actually be right in saying no from a constitutional standpoint, not from a legal standpoint, not from a, a uh, statutory legal standpoint. No, the, the, the lawyers, the precedent standpoint may say he's committed a crime. I mean, let's face it, uh, um, who was a Banyan was uh, not only charged with contempt of Congress for not uh, showing up when subpoenaed, uh, he was tried and convicted. I believe falsely convicted because you have to start out with the premise. Where does Congress have the constitutional authority to issue such a subpoena? I haven't found it yet. I haven't found it yet. Not until Congress said we are now investigating uh, a president for impeachment. We are investigating bribery, treason, high crimes, misdemeanors. We are investigating those those alleged crimes, and we are looking for witnesses to give us evidence for that purpose. Then, okay, you've got that. They think they jumped the gun with this. It's not surprising, right? Because you got to remember, most uh, most uh, members of Congress, I believe, went to law school. Uh, they don't teach the Constitution in law school. They teach uh, judicial precedent in law school, falsely calling it case law, falsely calling it constitutional law, and um, so most of these people probably believe they have the legitimate power to do so, even though the Constitution says absolutely not. That's why I say when, when the law is on your side, when the Constitution says you can do this, when the, you, know, you pound the Constitution, you pound the law. When the, the facts are on your side, well, you pound the facts. You've got a lot of facts. But when neither of the facts are on your side, you simply pound the table. See, the Congress has no authority to investigate Hunter. Biden, because he's not, he's not in federal government. He's not in the government of the United States. He cannot be impeached. This, that's why you see why I'm talking about this as, as kangaroo courts. Again, if he's offering testimony against his father, that's fine. But when they issued the subpoena, there was no formal investigation into President Biden for the purposes of impeachment. There was political work but there was not a formal investigation. So it's, it's, it may seem to be a little thing, but you know what? I think it's an important thing. And I mentioned before the, the, the three presidents, was it MIT, Harvard, UPenn, that were hauled before Congress and interrogated. This wasn't a question. This is an interrogation. Um, and, uh, you know, everybody's all up in arms. They said, you know what? Someone calling for the uh, uh, genocide of the Jews, would that, um, um, would that violate your code of conduct? And a lot of people are very upset by what the, uh, what the, the presidents did. I, not so much. Now, understand, I, uh, the idea that there's such a thing as freedom of speech on the campus is bogus. Not on most campuses. Very, very few campuses do I believe there's actually freedom of speech. But again, it was a, it was a setup job. The, the, there's, you know, again, lawyers, when, when, I, when I hear them talking, one of the things they warn is you don't answer hypotheticals. When judges are being, are, 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 have, have committee hearings um, for uh, appointments to federal judgeships, what do they say? 
I don't answer a hypothetical. I don't answer a hypothetical. I don't answer a hypothetical. Why? Because a hypothetical is not defined. You may think it's one thing. The other person thinks it's another thing. The details matter. So you had a representative saying, um, here's a hypothetical. What do you mean by call for the extinct, uh, call for the genocide of the Jews? You, give me a, an example, a concrete example that I can answer. Are you talking about people who believe that um, uh, you know, Palestine for the Palestinians? Is that calling for the genocide of the Jews? Uh, when people say from the river to the sea, is that calling for the genocide of the Jews? Or are you talking about somebody saying, um, kill the Jews? Those are three different instances with three different specific sets of circumstances that a, a, a truly free speech-minded person would treat differently. It, and I know I'm in the minority. There are people that are probably already yelling at their, at their computers and their phones going, what are you talking about, Paul? It's important. If we believe in freedom of speech, then we have to have the freedom for people to say things we find absolutely ab abhorrent. I may vehemently disagree with what you have to say, but I will, I will defend with my life your right to say it. And those, that, that, that theoretical, that hypothetical uh, question by Elise Stefanik, it was, it, it, it was a setup. You can, you can just tell the way she reacted to it. It was a setup. And uh, I, I, uh, I'm not ready to condemn these presidents for that. There's plenty else at their schools that we can condemn them for. I believe there's sufficient examples of um, all three of these universities suppressing speech they don't like, suppressing conservative thought uh, from the students, from the staff, from the faculty. So you know, the fact that they, that they claim to believe in freedom of speech is, uh, it's a farce. But just because they're farcical there doesn't mean I'm ready to condemn them for saying, wait a second, I want what I wish they had done. They had done is been. I don't answer hypotheticals. Give me a specific example. Give me a specific set of circumstances that you want me to answer. And when they, when, when I'm sure Lisa Bonnick would have complained and said, "Listen, what you think, what you state is a a call for genocide." May someone else may not think is a call for genocide. That's why I want specifics. I will not answer hypotheticals. I will answer a specific question with a specific set of circumstances. And at least Stefanik probably would have gone hyperbolic like she did, but I think they would have been on a li little firmer ground. Um, I don't say politically, but in, in 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 the realm of public opinion, if they could have been looking to say. I'm looking for, for specifics, not simply, uh, well, you know, freedom of speech and all that, because uh, partially because they don't have a history of protecting freedom of speech, but uh, also because it, it would have been, again, specifics. It's less hypothetical. It's more specific. And specifics matter. Details matter. And um, that's why I talk about pounding on the table. Now listen, I have some other things I want you to I want you to take away. Not so much about pounding the table, but understanding a lot of what we're being told is not legally true. And I, I want to come back to some of those, but I have to take a break. Now before I go, uh, I hope you head to the website constitutionstudy.com. There is still time to get 
Christmas gifts. Uh, all of my books are 20% off, no codes, no coupons. Just go to constitutionstudy.shop, look at all my books, 20% off, digital, paperback, whichever you want. Um, you can find them there. I've also got a bunch of t-shirts. Uh, got these really nice t-shirts are made right here in Tennessee, but uh, they're on clearance and uh, you can get them 50% off. Not a bad deal. Now, the other thing you need to consider, I hope you consider, you know, Christmas time, it's a crazy time, right? You're running around, you've got parties, you've got events, you've got people coming over, you're going to people's house. It puts uh, a lot of strain on us. Sometimes you get to the end of the day and you're just like toast. It's like, I, 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 can't, I can't focus on what I need to get done. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's when I reach for focus and recall from Healthy Cell. It helps boost my short-term focus and my long-term brain power using nothing but vitamins. Vitamins. No caffeine, no sugar rush, no energy drinks. Vitamins. And it works really, really well. I take one, about 10, 15 minutes later, I can focus again and I get the work done. You can get all the details at americaoutloud.shop. But since you're an America Out Loud listener, you can get 25% off your first order from Healthy Cell. It can be Focus and Recall or any of their great products. Again, all the details are at americaoutloud.shop. So please check that out. Check out americaoutloud.shop. Check out Healthy Sales Focus and Recall. Be sure to use the code to get 25% off your first order. It lets them know that you listen to America Out Loud. And as a thank you, they'll give you that 25% off your first order. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack. Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Today's high-stress, on-the-go lifestyle makes it hard to stay heart-healthy. Lifestyle changes like exercise and diet are critical, but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support three aspects of heart health, cholesterol, blood pressure, and triglycerides, with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. 
It's a patent-pending gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients. You would need to take 13 pills to get the same amount of nutrients in each gel pack. And these great-tasting gels come in a small packet. Tear off the top, shoot it down, or mix it in water. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 25% off. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. If you join the Constitution Study today, we're looking at, well, pounding the table. You know, when in doubt, simply making statements and, and um, pounding the table about what is and what isn't. And um, that works in a lot of cases. You know, people will back down. They, they, they don't want to confront it. So uh, I talked a little bit at the beginning about you know both Hunter Biden and the, the university presidents. I want to take a look at some other stories where a lot of claims are being made that, well, either are not, uh, not entirely accurate or, or missing certain important pieces of information. For example, you've probably heard of uh, was it COP twenty eight, the latest uh, uh, you know climate change scam meeting. You know the people who were so worried about carbon uh, dioxide that they emit tons of it to go uh, you know have nice fancy dinners and and show off for the world. Well, apparently there there are reports that a uh, a commitment was signed that the U.S. was part of this group that signed a commitment to uh, um, basically transition away from fossil fuels. Now, here's some information I've heard, and it's very important. Um, as I understand it, um, there actually wasn't something signed. See, what the, the, the alleged, you know, hey, we all agreed to this. There was apparently a, a, a meeting, and it was gaveled in, and it was, you know, gaveled out, and claimed that everybody agreed to it when um, there was no discussion, there was no debate, there was no actual vote. It simply was ramrodded through. Now, I was reading a, uh, an article on Daily Caller saying that uh, representatives within the U.S. and nearly 200 other countries signed on to the pledge to, uh, uh, you know, tr transition away from fossil fuels. Um, can I point out something rather important? Um, within the United States, that is absolutely meaningless. This agreement, this document, this whatever it is, is absolutely meaningless. First of all, it's not a treaty. It wasn't uh, ratified by the Senate. Not a treaty. Therefore, it's not the supreme law. Not, it's not law in the United States. Certainly not the supreme law. Furthermore, even if this were to be ratified as a treaty, still wouldn't be the supreme law of the land because there's nothing in the Constitution that delegates the United States the power to determine what fuels you use. So this is a lot of smoke. Now, again, in a lot of other countries, this may have legal effect. In the United States, this is hogwash. It's uh, meaningless. It, it, it is a, I don't know how to put it. It, it, it is an attempt to um, almost beg the question. You know, well, we, we've had this agreement. No, you don't. You know, if, if, if you make an agreement to say uh, that you're going to sell your neighbor's home, that isn't legally binding because you don't have the legal authority to do that. That's basically what these representatives for the U.S. did. They signed on to an agreement they had no legal authority to sign on to. They claimed to represent the United States. 
in doing an act that they have no legal authority to do. They lied. They fraudulently, they committed an act of fraud on the rest of the world because they claimed they had the power to join into this nonsense. They don't. Now, granted, most of the people think they do, but that's because, well, we don't read the Constitution of the United States. We have no idea what it actually says. So people are going to act, oh, well, we signed on to this thing to get away from fossil fuels. Um, no, uh, basically, uh, this was an attempt to, um, I don't know, bolster Joe Biden's uh, uh, war on uh, on clean energy. I don't mean the stuff they call clean I mean real clean energy. Right, you know, stuff like uh, natural gas and and uh, clean coal and and other programs that, by the way, are not polluting the world. This is a giant scam. It, it and and join up to the the uh, uh, article like I talked about last week, where um, the the undeveloped countries were begging for two trillion dollars from the developed countries to help them with climate change. It's all a scam. This is, I mean, this is, this is Enron. This is, this is Ponzi. This is nothing but a scam. And people like John Kerry and um, uh, uh, Al Gore in the United States are better making a boatload of money off of this scam. And you know who's paying the bills? You are. The U.S. taxpayer, the U.S. consumer. Because they are the ones that are taking a something that scientifically is not proven to be a problem, climate change. And I talk about you know, the majority of client scientists agree. No, look at the science. Your models have been dead wrong. They've been dead wrong for decades. This, ladies and gentlemen, is a scam. And the next time someone says, well, we have to do this because we signed that agreement in COP28. No, we don't. Because that is not the law. It is not the supreme law of the land. It doesn't even qualify as law within the United States. So that's where they're going to come in. They're going to be pounding the table. No, no, no. We have to do this. We said so. I do not care. The fact that a bunch of bureaucrats made a pledge in my name they didn't have the legal authority to doesn't mean diddly squat to me. And it really shouldn't mean diddly squat to you either. Now, here's another example of uh, a lot of table pounding. How many of you remember for the last three years you've been hearing how the 2020 election was the most secure election in history? Yeah, a lot of table pounding about that. And as more and more evidence has come out that uh, there were problems in the 2020 election, I mean, it started from day one. It started even before the election happened where at least five states illegally modified the method of appointing electors in violation of the Constitution. No one paid attention to that. Now, you know, well, i got to admit that the Texas Attorney General Paxton made a brief mention of it in his lawsuit, which is full of, well, or all sorts of other nonsense. But we haven't talked about that. And then, of course, it was all the concerns about the mail-in balloting and the, the ballots that mysteriously appeared at the last minute, counts that were done, well, there's another issue that has popped up, and this comes from an actual from a Rasmussen and Heartland Institute survey. In this survey, they found that one in five voters in the 2020 mail-in voters 
of the mail-in voters in the 2012 one in five admitted that they cheated. Stop and think about that for a second. One in five voters, mail-in voters in the 2020, admitted that they cheated. This was a telephone and online survey that was conducted by Rasmussen and Heartland Institute. And uh, they found that those who voted by absentee or mail-in ballot, 20% of their, yeah, about 21%, said they filled out a ballot or part or in full on behalf of a friend or family member, such as a spouse or a child, while 78% said that they didn't. And 30% of those surveyed who said they voted by absentee or mail-in ballot in 2020, of, uh, of, of those 30% that said they did, 19% said that they had a friend or a family member fill out their, their ballot for them, at least in part or in full. And 17% of those mail-in voters say they cast a ballot in a state where they were no longer a permanent resident. By the way, all of those practices are illegal. Filling out a ballot for somebody else, having someone else fill out a ballot for you, or voting in a state you're no longer a resident are crimes. So just think about the scale of that for a minute. If 30%, if 30 of uh, the people surveyed voted by mail-in ballot, of those 30, 21% said they, uh, they filled out a ballot for somebody else. 17% said somebody filled out a ballot for them. And 19% said they cast a, I'm sorry, 70% said they cast a vote in a state they no longer live in. What does that say about the state of our elections right here in the good old U.S. of A? What does that say about the upcoming election? Actually, we don't know what it says about the 2022 election yet, but what does it say about the upcoming election, the 2024 election, where we're already seeing a push for more mail-in balloting? Are we expecting fraud, admitted fraud? If, 20, if roughly 20% of, uh, of mail-in voters admitted on a survey to committing voter fraud, where does that put our elections? Where does that put trust in our elections? Well, I'll tell you where it puts trust in our elections. Right down the toilet. And taking with it, well, our trust in the republic. The, the republic requires that we elect people to represent us, but if the people who are supposedly representing us didn't actually weren't actually elected by the people, but were appointed by some um, criminal process. Are we still a republic? And now that we have uh, ample opportunity for both sides to simply dismiss the outcome, the alleged outcome of an election, because one side doesn't believe the other side you know, believes the other side cheated. By the way, this isn't 2020. You see this all the way back in 2016. You can actually see this all the way back to the, to the 2000 election, and the infamous hanging chads and pregnant chads and, and and all of that. Even to the point of the the claim that the Supreme Court weighed in for uh, uh, for Bush did no such thing. But we now have 20 
23 years. 23 years of a distrust in elections, a belief that elections only really val- uh, um, um, only really accurate if your preferred candidate wins. That is, that is not just simply, dist- that is corrosive to the very idea of freedom and liberty. Because now we're down to the point of, it doesn't matter what the people say, because I could find some way of believing that, that the, the vote was wrong, it was manipulated, it was, it was you know, influenced by the Russians or by um, uh, voter fraud in the states through the mail-in voting. People have, can come up with a legitimate reason to say the, uh, the election didn't work, and they fall back on what? Factions. Political parties exactly what George Washington warned us about in his farewell address. The alternate domination of one faction over another, sharpened by the spirit of revenge natural to party detention, which in different ages and countries has perpetuated the most hard enormities, is itself a frightful despotism. We've had 23 years where a significant portion of a president's term has involved defending themselves against questions of legitimacy, sometimes with, sometimes without any real evidence to support it. But you see, if I can convince myself that my party is the right one, that my party is the offended party, that my party should be there, then, well, that spirit of revenge gives me every reason to attack my opponent's party. And as Washington went on, the disorders and miseries which result gradually incline the minds of men to seek security and repose in the absolute power of an individual. How often have you heard, oh, you know, we, we had to elect Biden or we were all going to hell. We can't allow Trump to win the presidency or this becomes a despotic dictatorship. We now seek security, not in our representatives. Remember, the president doesn't represent the people. He's hired by the states to execute the laws of the states. Then again, maybe it's not a remember, because I'm sure you were not taught that in school, because that would involve actually reading the Constitution of the United States. But we've gone from seeking, uh, recognizing our representatives in Congress and in the states and our local governments to simply pointing, placing everything in the lap of the commander-in-chief. We've sought security and repose in the absolute power of an individual. Washington continued, and sooner or later, the chief of some prevailing faction, more able or more fortunate than his competitors, turns this disposition into the purposes of his own elevation on the ruins of public liberty. What we see here, ladies and gentlemen, is not simply a a political spat. We're not simply seeing cheating for cheating's sake. No, no, no. We are watching the ruins of public liberty. Because if you cannot trust in the elections, we no longer have a republic. And if you don't have a republic, we're no longer the land of the free. Nor are we the home of the brave. Now, listen, I have more examples of, uh, uh, well, well, let's call them election shenanigans. And the impact that they have on um, uh, on society as a whole, but I have to take a break before I go there. 
No. I would ask you to join me, though. I go every day to AmericaOutloud.news. It's one of the platforms I visit every day to get news and information, some of which I share here, some of which I share other places, some on uh, with friends and family, some with social media, but I share. And that's the important thing. We were all taught as children to, to share. Well, it's time to share. It's time to take the, uh, uh, the podcasts, the videos, the articles, the stories, the things that you see are important and share them. Maybe expose somebody to something new. Maybe just give them uh, another piece of evidence for whatever they're currently working on. But it's up to us to share. See, the blessings of liberty, the, the things like freedom of speech and freedom of the press and freedom of religion, they only exist if we exercise them. To have those words on paper mean nothing if you can't actually exercise those blessings. So if you want to help secure the blessings of liberty, if you want to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem, then join us. Join us here at America Out Loud Talk Radio. Go to AmericaOutloud.news. Find those stories. Find those, those podcasts, the things that really in, in, in invigorate you and share them. Join us all as we work to secure the blessings of liberty for everyone. Change in the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Nurses Out Loud Talk Radio want to introduce you to ASEA Redox Cell Signaling Molecules. It is more than just a wonderful natural product. Redox molecules are native to the human body. Redox molecules enable your body to turn on its inner doctor so your body can heal itself the way it did naturally when you were young. Check out AmericaOutloud.shop. Look for ASEA Cell Signaling Molecules Liquid Supplement, and check out Nurse Michelle's recent favorite ASEA product, Renew 28 Revitalizing Redox Gel, because this gel helped get me through some significant muscular pain during my healing process following a recent canoeing accident when I broke my hip. Give it a try for your aches and pains and let Nurses Out Loud hear how your health has improved. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Falker with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. Welcome back, Everyday Americans. You rejoin the Constitution study. Today, 
Well, we're looking at people pounding the table about, well, all sorts of things. We, we spent a fair amount talking about um, Hunter Biden, the uh, three university presidents. We spent the last segment talking mostly about elections and, and people who admitted in a poll they committed a, a crime and, and mailed in fraudulent ba- ballots. One in five mail-in ballots were apparently filled out fraudulently. And if that doesn't disturb you, I don't know what does. But there's more examples. See, part of them, our, our election system has become, well, let's say convoluted and manipulated. Now, understand that elections are held at the state level. The elections that you vote in are handled at the state level. I don't care what Congress says. There are no federal elections. There, there may be an election for a federal office, but that office belongs to the state and the district. It's not a federal election. So we, we look at these different states, and again, we've allowed our the political parties to basically take over the election process. I've talked about this before. We see with the whole primary system, these publicly funded private elections for the purpose of, or I should say, publicly funded elections for private organizations for the purposes of limiting your options on election day. That's what a political primary is. It is a political party picking a champion that will appear on the ballot, making it easier for you to vote for them as opposed to simply writing in somebody else's name. But what happens when that process becomes itself, well, not just so politicized, but partisan-focused? Apparently, in, in Arizona, they set up a system whereby um, different organizations can register people to vote online. Now, our voter registration uh, roles in general across this country are a filthy mess. I, I look, where was it? There was one in, in the District of Columbia. There are 131, there are more people registered to vote than are eligible to vote by like 30%. That seems to be a problem, especially in the era of you know uh, of mail-in voting, where people they you know, uh, people are just sending out ballots to whoever was registered. So you would think that you know obviously political parties they want a lot of of people registered that will vote their way. Kind of makes sense, right? Sounds logical. Sounds reasonable. So when they open up this, this registration, this, by the way, this goes all the way back to motor voter, the idea of we need to make voting easy. I don't think we should make voting hard, but I think we should in, make sure that voting is important. So we've got this voter registration program where different organizations uh, can, in Arizona can sign up. If they intend to register more than a thousand users, they appear on a website, meaning they can just take you, you know, hey, you want to you want to register? Here, fill out this form online. Bing, bang, boom, you're registered. Do they check to see if they're, oh, I don't know, a resident of the state? A citizen of the United States? I don't know. But here's what's interesting. Um somewhere, I think it was last year, the Secretary of State in Arizona, Katie Hobbs, on the website, they prominently displayed all the different organizations that were participating in this uh, program. Interesting enough, many of them not only 
sounded leftist, they tended to lean leftist. Now, apparently, I mean, it wasn't completely one-sided. The Republican, Democrat, and Libertarian parties were listed as possibilities for the vote, but it seems to me, or I, apparently, according to a, a Republican um, committee woman, um, the Republican Party didn't even know the service was available. And, and there were no third-party groups that were registering voters in Arizona for the, uh, that leaned Republican either. So what do we see? It certainly does bring into question, are we, are we set up another system where uh, a, a one party has just gotten a, done a better, we're going to register people, we're going to get out the vote, we're going to do a better job. Okay, that's kind of your job. I, I can't really blame a, a political party for doing their job well. Um, as much as I hate the political parties, if your job is to get people registered and to vote for your candidate, you're doing your job, that's, you know, I, I expect you to do it well. But I'm not looking at this from the political party standpoint. What about the individual citizen? When someone comes up to you and said, hey, are you registered to vote? No. Would you like to register to vote? Sure. How do you decide which party to register for? By the way, for most of my life, I was a registered Republican. Uh, I'm actually, uh, uh, I, I have to, I haven't done it yet, but my intention is to re-register as an independent because the Republicans piss me off as well. And oh, by the way, the, my county Republican Party has me to talk to them frequently. They know my opinion on parties. I've been quite uh, uh, straight, uh, forthright with them that, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not becoming a party member. I'm talking about the Constitution. And by the way, if, you're, if you are part of the Democratic uh, County Party, I will come speak to you too. Right? I want to make it very clear. Although I've had several Republican groups ask me to come speak to them, I've not had a single Democrat group or independent or libertarian ask me to come speak to, to, to speak to them. I would be willing to. I'd be happy to. I believe all the parties need to, um, I think all the parties need a better understanding of the Constitution and uh, to understand that the um, political parties, to me, in my mind, are dangerous and damaging. But that's neither here nor there. But it makes me wonder, because the other part of it, with all of this registration, and I don't remember if Arizona mails out ballots, but we've had several states that simply mailed out ballots to everybody who's registered. How do we know that the, the, the voter registration rolls are valid? Now here, I live in Tennessee. And when I go to vote, by the way, I vote in person. I've only voted absentee once in my entire life. That's literally because I was not in the state on election day. I was in another, I was in the country. I was not in the state. I was not able to get back to vote uh, on, on election day. So I voted absentee. That was again, once in my life. But when I show up to vote, you know what I do? I, my wife and I, we show up. We show them our driver's license, our photo IDs. Yay! Make sure that the person's voting is the one who actually is registered to vote. Make sure that I'm at, that we're eligible to vote. Yay! Because to me, it's more important that the election be that 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 the vote be legal than that the vote be easy. 
things that are too easy we don't value. But it's more important than that. If, if the um, if it's too easy to vote, it's too easy to cheat. So I want to, I don't want to make not out to make it more difficult to vote. For example, I don't have a problem with early voting as long as it's a reasonable amount of time. I think two weeks is fine. I think a month may be pushing it, but you know, that's up for the people of, of the different states. Uh, I think mail-in voting should be. Um, I think mail-in voting should have cause. No, you should have. You should have to ask for the ballot. You should have to give a reason why um, you can't vote. And again, with early voting, there should be less need for absentee voting. Those are my opinions based on on, on the trying to maintain the integrity of the outcome. See, it's not the voting. It's that the outcome is correct. It is expressing the, the desires of the people who are legally eligible to vote and do actually vote. And by the way, if you don't vote, you don't have a reason to complain. Because if Bates said, I'm going to let somebody else, um, I'm going to let somebody else's vote count. I'm going to let the other people vote for me because they're not casting my ballot, but I, I won't be bothered to participate. Um, that's like sitting in a life raft that's, that's leaking and saying, I'm not going to bail I'll let, because other people are bailing for me. Now, again, I, 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 if we make voting too easy, we make it too easy to cheat, which apparently is the plan in Wisconsin. See, people have been, you know, the, the Wisconsin mail-in ballot, their absentee ballot processing, oh, it's wonderful. You don't have delays on election night in, in, in voting. You know, you can vote whenever, okay. But here's an interesting twist. And again, this is being spun up as damaging, and, and I want to take a closer look at it. So Senate Bill 685 would allow local election clerks to begin processing absentee ballots the day before an election. Now, again, uh, people, I've seen people going apoplectic. Um, it, it, it's, you know, that word, they're trading speed for security. Um, here's the thing I do not understand. If the absentee ballot was cast, why can it not be counted? Why wait until a certain time to count it? Now, the logic I hear behind this is, um, well, if you count absentee ballots early, then um, those who are cheating know how many ballots they need to make up to win the race. Okay, fair enough. I, I can see the logic of that. If you know, if they're counting the ballots early and uh, you are you know, willing to cheat to win an election, you say, hey, we're behind by 10,000 votes. We got to make up 10,000 votes somewhere. Let's do that. Um, I, 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 can, I can see the logic of that. What I don't understand is the logic of saying you have to wait until election day or the, the, or the polls close um, to start counting ballots, especially absentee ballots, since you're counting ballots that are cast in person before the polls close. Why wait for the absentees until afterwards? As a as a person that deals with processes, it seems to be to me to be it seems to me to be a problem. Now I understand the two causes, right? I don't want, uh, you know, we don't want to be up all night waiting for the election returns. Um, we don't want to be waiting days, sometimes weeks, for all the uh, absentee ballots to be counted. I understand that. 
I also understand the concern of uh, being able to use it to cheat. I have a compromise I think would work really, really well. Um, first, let ballots be counted from when they're accepted until uh, 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 from, from the point they're accepted. Right? If ballots come in, have a time, yes, we can start counting them. However, the counting is secret. There's no reporting on it. Allow the the counties to get a bit of a head start. Um, is one day enough? I don't know. Uh, I, I'm again, I'm not an expert. The Wisconsin bill, which says they can start counting the day before to kind of get a head start on it. I don't know. I, I'm I I can't say that I'm I have really strong opinions one way or the other. What I do know is that our current process for the elections is um, a lot of states have a lot of problems. Uh, a lot of states seem that they, they, uh, they can't get their vote counted in what most people consider a reasonable amount of time, that there's a lot of, um, a lot of ways to delay, to interfere, and to manipulate the actual count, if not the actual votes. And that scares me. It, when I see people pounding the table saying, we cannot count early because people will cheat. And I see other people going, we have to count early because we're, it's taking too long to get the results. It seems like we're placing speed above accuracy. But in some cases, I think we're placing um, agenda above accuracy as well. And that's, I think as a nation, county by county, state by state, we need to be looking at how we deal with our voter rolls, how we deal with with um, registrations, how we deal with um, when we vote in person, when we allow voting that's not in person, and what tools we use to verify the identity of the person casting the vote. I think we need to do that. I think we should be doing it state by state because these are state elections. Yes, these elections may have a nationwide impact, but they're still state elections. And if all we can do is pound the table to try to get our point across, then we've lost. We've, we've, we've effectively given up the whole concept of a republic and the, uh, the ability to vote. You see, I think ultimately what it comes down to is the American people are more interested in the right to vote than how they decide who to vote for. So I don't tell people who to vote for, but I am curious how you decide. Me, I look for a person's fidelity to their oath of office. Can they show me when they've upheld that oath when it costs them something? They can't. How can I trust them to fulfill their oath in the future? That to me is a deal breaker. That to me is the question. If you take an, an oath, a solemn promise, you swear or affirm that you're going to uphold the Constitution of the United States and you cannot or will not, all your campaign promises are useless. They're worthless. They're meaningless because I can't trust you because you won't keep a promise. It seems to me we're more interested in quantity over quality, but not me. I would rather have 
a small number of people who keep their promise. I don't mean campaign promise, their oath to support the Constitution, than have a large number of people who all they care about is political party, color of the skin, their gender, or some other thing that has nothing to do with whether or not they're going to do what they swore they were going to do. Now, here's what I do. Here's the Constitution study. We are here every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time on America Out Loud Talk Radio, heard on the iHeartRadio Network. I'm glad you join us. I hope you come back and join us some more. If you can't listen then, all the episodes go to podcasts, generally a day or two after they're heard on talk radio. You can listen in your favorite podcast app. But I ask you to subscribe to the show. Uh, leave ratings and reviews on the episodes. It helps other people find the Constitution study as well. If we want to be a republic, we need to learn to work together to the goal of following the Constitution. You can find all the links you need at the homepage at americaoutloud.news. But I talk about it all the time, and, and I don't want you to, to lose the importance. So you have a part to play in our future. I know a lot of people have simply thrown up their hands and given up, but you do. You have a part to play. You do that by exposing people to the concepts of liberty, to the Constitution. And by sharing this information, by sharing those links, by sharing the articles and these podcasts, you help share the blessings of liberty to everyone.